Harry Dry, welcome to the Andy Hackers podcast. Great to be here. Um, been looking forward to it the whole day. Uh, ready to go. Yeah, me too. You are the creator of marketingexamples.com, which is a pretty remarkable site. Why don't you explain to us what it is exactly? Well, Marketing Examples is a website where I um, write about real-world marketing stories. I think a lot of the marketing content out there at the moment is if you work for a, a big company, you know, you've got your, your big boss will say, write me something which will rank on Google. Um, you've got to shove in these four or five keywords and do it in one day. And with marketing examples, I don't really have any of that pressure or any of those constraints. And I think that's why the articles are perhaps slightly more interesting or, or engaging than a lot of other bigger companies are, are producing. I'm not really trying to rank for um, in Google at this stage or anything like that. It's just about what's the most interesting example out there. That said, it's still pretty meta. It's kind of fun to think about the fact that you're producing these case studies that offer all this great marketing advice. And at the same time, you're building your website. You're trying to grow your audience. You're trying to get more traffic. And so you can learn a lot just by reading the case studies that you're putting out. A million percent. I think um, a lot of the, it's actually funny, a lot of the time I like to write, I feel like I could write four or five articles about marketing examples, but then it would just go down too much of this like <laughs> weird black hole. And I don't know, my dad doesn't want me to do that. Put it that way. He, he was gutted. I wrote one about my own launch on product time. He was like, son, none of this is right about other companies. Fear companies. <laughs> well, it's very cool. I'm looking at the site right now. If you haven't been, it's marketingexamples.com. And the kind of case studies you're writing about are things like how Nomadlist dominates longer tail keywords on Google search, why Notion's signup form converts so well, how Jason Cohen does direct sales, how to get 30,000 Hacker News visitors to your website, how you got 2,000 new subscribers from Product Hunt. Just these really solid case studies that, if you're an indie hacker, you're probably going to want to know about. So I think you've done a great job with these. And you've also been doing a great job sharing your accomplishments behind the scenes. So just this last month, you posted on your indie hackers product page that you got your first 1,000 email subscribers, then you hit 1,500 Twitter followers, then you launched on Product Hunt and were the number one product of the week, and you got to 2,000 and 3,000 Twitter followers, I think just today, and you're closing in on $1,000 a month in revenue. So it's quite a lot, and I'm just wondering how you're doing on a personal level, Harry. Are you excited? Are you calm? Are you overworked? Are you keeping it together? What's going on? That's just a good question. Life's good. I think my goal for the year was to... Um, was to leave my job and become fully sustainable myself. And, um, you know, I, I've kind of get in there. I mean, I've, I sidestepped a little bit. So I started off on, I dropped down to two days at my job and now down to, to zero days. And that's kind of mission accomplished. I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to work it out. I think my structure is pretty rubbish. Like I, I haven't really worked out how to be a, a, a like a employed by myself at the moment. <laughs> I'm trying, but, um, yeah, life's all right. I think. I like the library. That's where I spend a lot of my time. What kind of job did you have where you could just drop down to two days a week? I worked at a, um, a web development company called Crowdform in London. And I did about, I think I did about a year there or coming up to a year, uh, five days. And I think over that time, I kind of built up enough trust with them, I suppose. And I said, can we do two days? And they very, very kindly said yes. And that, you know, I started working on marketing examples at that point. And then when I got my first sponsor, Email Octopus, I decided, uh, yeah, you know, let's do it. Let's go full time and see how it goes. I think they say that startup founders are um, risk takers. But I would say, well, actually, I would completely quote from somebody else. I can't remember who said it, that they're more 
um, risk killers. So with the two-day thing, it was like what takes out most startups, the fact that their founders run out of money. So if I drop down to two days, I can have that little safety net to kill that risk. And then once I get the sponsor, all right, then I can move on to the next thing. And then, you know, another example of killing risk would be like, all right, what if I have a co-founder or someone who's, you know, there's friction there and none of that stuff. What if I'm spending loads of money on ads or I have lots of that kind of stuff going on? Again, nothing. Like we don't spend very much money. So I'm trying to put market examples in a position where it's pretty impossible to destroy. I feel like you can't really take us out. Nothing's going to blow us up. Like it's just going to roll on. It's going to get bigger and bigger and better. Tyson Fury says that the only way to beat Tyson Fury is to pin him down and nail him to the canvas. And I think that the only way you can take out market examples is if you pin me down and put nails through my hands. I tell a lot of founders that the reason why most businesses fail is because the founders quit. And the reason why founders quit is a lot of the stuff that you've identified. It's because you haven't really mitigated some of these huge risks. It's because you're working with a co-founder who you don't get along with and you have disputes. It's because you work on something that takes way too long to get off the ground. And so you run out of money and stuff like that. These kind of preventable mistakes. So it's super smart for you to have structured things in such a way that you're mitigating these risks. So let's talk about that. There's kind of a continuum. And on one side, you've got founders who are super thoughtful, put a lot of time into thinking about exactly what idea they want to work on. And on the other side, you have people who are a little bit more intuitive. They tend to work on the first thing that they're excited about, the first thing that comes to mind. Where would you say you fell on that spectrum when you were coming up with the idea for marketing examples? I think I was pretty methodical, really. Like I, I thought about it deeply. I'd had a bunch of startups, I suppose, very small things before, which haven't gone very well. And I think that the more, you know, the worse it goes, the kind of harsher you are on yourself and, and this you know, you, you improve essentially. So for this one, I think, I think um, there's no such thing really as a good idea. There's only such thing as a good idea for a specific person at a specific time. So when I was trying to come up with marketing examples, I had my goal in mind really, which was, you know, can I, I want to leave, I want to um, be financially independent. I want to make, like, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of extraordinary amount of money, um, aim really small. And that's why I thought that just marketing writing was a good idea as a small humble project i think um a lot of people end up trying to shoot for the moon from the word go and that can often result in trying to build this huge rocket perhaps and then they spend like a year trying to build it and it probably doesn't even end up getting launched or if it does you know the explosion doesn't really go off quite right and i I just felt like i could grow the site slowly but surely to the position where i had a sponsor and um Someone might say that, oh, it's not, you know, very much money. It's a thousand or 880, whatever it is. But they're kind of missing the point because um, when I was coming up with the idea for marketing examples, money wasn't really my overarching. It wasn't really my currency. You know, I, I could have tried to get big investment. I wanted to I wanted to just free up my time. That was what I was after. Um, so I looked at projects which had worked before and stuff like, I feel like I saw a bit of a pattern. There's sites like Nomadlist, uh, you know, they produce information about cities. It kind of grows into a community. Indie Hackers is the same. They produce originally information about, or interviews, sorry, with um, founders who disclose their revenue. And now it's a kind of big community. Um, Game Quitters is another example. It started when Cam Adler, I think his name is, wrote a blog about, you know, how he quit, quit video game addiction. And now it's this huge community. So I just felt like the simplest thing I can do whilst I'm still working for this this company is just to start small, you know, a simple website, start writing about marketing and who knows where it, it might lead to. 
Yeah, start small is some of my favorite startup advice and probably among the most oft ignored pieces of startup advice. But I think it's one of those things that once you've actually lived it, once you've done the opposite and been in the trenches and you've been bitten by that particular mistake, you really internalize it and you don't make that mistake again. You've worked on some startups in the past that didn't go particularly well. What are some lessons you've learned? What are some mistakes that you've made that you're determined not to repeat? Well, my first thing was site called 140 Canvas. And it was, you take custom tweets and you try and sell them online. And I did it kind of just because I wanted to learn to code. The lesson there was just didn't validate the idea at all. I just put it up and thought that Product Hunt would do all the work. And that's, you know, an, an error which you make once and then hopefully you switch on and just it doesn't happen again. Um, then I probably made an even worse mistake. After that, I, I made this big date in sight. Um, and again, there was no real kind of plan there. I think it was just it, it went well. Like the site took off in, in a major way. It was a date in sight for Kanye West fans. But I didn't have like a marketing plan. I think with marketing examples, I've got a bit sharper. Like I kind of know now that I write the articles, I share them in X, Y, Z places. I share them in slightly different ways in each in each places. They get read, the emails go up, the Twitter following goes up, and um, I can build upon that. Previously, I haven't really got the right analogy for it, but I think you have to go through that phase as well. They say that, well, I like to say that success is the finished wall and failure are the bricks in the wall. And I definitely haven't got any kind of big success yet or anything like that. But you have to just go through the, the failures, really, to just understand stuff. Yeah, the uh, bricklaying process of failing over and over again reminds me a lot of how I started Andy Hackers. I also had some salient mistakes that I'd made from previous ventures that I was determined never to make again. One of them I've talked about a lot, which is that I really knew that I have a tendency to code for very long periods of time without ever really getting to the point where I want to release the thing that I've coded. And so I started Indie Hackers as a blog just to prevent me from even being able to do that. A blog is so simple, there's just no there's no way to do that. The other was kind of what you just touched on, which is that I had a marketing plan. I knew exactly who my readers were, where they hung out online, what they liked to read, how to get my blog posts in their hands. So it made this whole trough of sorrow, you know, tough growth period much easier for me because I sort of knew how to grow. It sounds like you had a plan as well. How much of that plan did you figure out before you started working on marketing examples? And how much of it did you figure out on the job? Oh, I thought about it a lot. I thought, um, I saw what, there's a website called Starter Story, which actually was on the Indie Hackers podcast. And I saw they just were growing slowly, but surely from posting on Reddit. So I knew that was a, a sort of angle. For my job, I'd been writing quite a lot of just posts, blogs, I guess, about various things. And I sort of got a bit of practice sharing them. Uh, I was doing these blogs for, for the Crowdform, the company I was working for, and we had some success just posting on Reddit. I'd share them all on Indie Hackers. You just got to pick out these watering holes where your audience hangs out. And I don't really look at Indie Hackers like that so much. I think the, the trick is is to just, to quote Adam Webin, just offer value wherever you are primarily. So if you're on Reddit, don't just post the link. You, you won't get anywhere. If you're on Indie Hackers, don't just link a site. It won't get you anywhere. If you're on Twitter, don't just link a blog. It won't get you anywhere. If you're on Slack, you know, don't just link a blog. It won't get you anywhere. You have to sort of uh, convince people to, to read it by boiling the article in, into into something great and then hoping that, um, you know, they click through, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of people look at Indie Hackers as just, a, just another marketing channel, which would be fine if they thought about it the same way that you're thinking about it, the same way that Adam Wathen recommends, which is to provide value in the place where you are. No matter what channel you're using, you should understand it. You should understand what people there find valuable and how they like to talk. And you should put that as your number one priority. And then it's okay if, like, incidentally, you also link back to some other helpful content. But that shouldn't be your primary goal. And if you treat it that way, 
number one, you're probably going to be breaking some rules. You're probably going to get reported or flagged. But even in the best case scenario, people just won't find what you're posting interesting. They're not going to click because there's so much other more helpful content on that channel that they would prefer to read, that they would prefer to click. Yeah. And I think people don't really get this because it's just a lot of work. It's so much easier to copy and paste a link to your blog. It's so much easier just to make the same post on every channel. But if you're doing it that way, it's probably because you're targeting way too many channels. It's better to narrow your focus, just target one or two channels that you really understand and you can really provide value there and ignore all the other channels because you really just don't have time to do a good job. And you've done a really good job at this with your posts on Indie Hackers. You take time every time you post a milestone to really explain how you hit that milestone and you present it in a way that's helpful and people appreciate it. You get hundreds of likes and comments on your milestones. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's so simple, really. But, you know, just make it interesting. I mean, today I wrote one about Twitter and I must have spent probably about an hour writing out the the five tips I, I gave. And I think, um, you know, the milestone in itself is good, like 3,000 followers. But without giving insight, you know, it's not... No, no, you know, it's not particularly interesting for other people. Yep, it's just empathy. It's not about what you're trying to express as a writer. It's not about what you're trying to accomplish or how many clicks you're trying to get as somebody running your company and marketing for yourself. It's about what readers want. They're not going to read unless you give them what they want. Like, why are they taking their time out of their day to read this thing? And it's not because they care that you hit 3,000 Twitter followers. It's because they're thinking about how they can hit 3,000 Twitter followers. And so you took the time to really write a whole post that helped them. And then only incidentally, only secondarily, do they learn about your website marketing examples? Do they learn about why they should trust you and visit what you're doing? So that's really the right way to prioritize things if you want to be effective. Going back to talking about how you came up with the idea for marketing examples, I'm curious if there were other competing ideas that you were considering that maybe didn't make the cut. Uh, no, it's actually the only idea I had, to be honest with you. I think um, I, I, I had this idea for maybe two months before I started working on it properly. Uh, things always get really delayed. So I had this big sort of story I was writing, um, which got pushed back and pushed back. And then I think that helped me build a little bit of an email list. It was a big story about the Kanye dating that I kind of mentioned. From that, I had you know a little bit of a head start. And they all seemed to be interested in marketing. So that kind of what seeded it for me. And um, the, the other kind of stones just fell in place. I think I think good advice is to build the product that only you can build. And... Um, I can do a bit of development, a bit of design, and I really like writing, specifically marketing stuff I find really interesting. I don't think many people necessarily have all three of, of those skills, but I'm not the best developer in the world. I'm not the best designer in the world. But I think that most most marketers, they lack the ability to make like really nicely designed websites. And they also kind of overkill on optimizations and SEO and all, all of that stuff. I'm not knocking that, but that just left like a little opportunity for someone who puts their heart into it, who really cares, who actually is going to not necessarily work to like a strict deadline, just when the article's done, it's done. That's kind of how the idea came. The very first post you made for your Indie Hackers product page for marketing examples is called, How Do I Make Money? And you listed three different options that you had floating around in your head. Number one was to build traffic and then reach out for sponsorships and advertisers. Number two was to build paid features. So you could, for example, charge people to access extra articles or charge people to access your premium Slack group. And the number three was to build an audience and then sell something different to them. So for example, a book or a course. And you ended up settling on number one. So I'm curious why that is. Why did you decide to go with sponsors? Why not go with paid features or building an audience and selling a different product? Simply, it was the, the least work in the short term. Like my goal, I had this like green light you know, this year, which I laid out ahead of me. And it was, how do I make enough money to kind of, you know, essentially work for myself? And um, <laughs> writing like a big course would have just taken 
a long time and you also you have to have a big audience to do that i think bigger than what i i have and um building a community up and premium membership and stuff would take a lot of coding i'd have to like write guides i'd have to create user logins and all that stuff so you know it was just the first and the easiest one of your next milestones was getting to 100 email subscribers and in some respects this is a very easy thing to do just find 100 people that you know friends relatives acquaintances coworkers, and put them on an email list but in some respects, it's also one of the hardest things to do. Very few people even get to that point. Most people drop off well before that. How did you get your first 100 email subscribers? Wow. Uh, it's a trip down memory lane. I think I saw I had 10 articles when I launched Marketing Examples. And um, that's when, at the time I launched. And I just started sharing them each day. So I would do, for each article, there's a Twitter thread which accompanies it. So I'd start sharing these threads on Twitter my own Twitter account had maybe 1,500, so maybe, I don't know, 40 of them sort of signed up. Uh, when you write articles about other companies, if they're quite well well written or well wrote, I don't know which one it is, um, they often end up sharing them themselves. So quite serendipitously, I found that a lot of these companies which I wrote about would just promote the articles. A lot of posting. I mean, I joined about 10 Slack groups, 10 Facebook groups, and would always share there, which hasn't actually gone particularly well. There's no silver bullet. I would say out of those hundred subscribers, you know, five would have come from here, four would have come from there, two of them are my parents. You know, it's like, yeah, there's no kind of one trick. Yeah, and I think it's smart that the main call to action on your website is this box right at the top, and it's like enter your email address to get two new case studies every week. Also, at the bottom of every article, every case study that you do, there's a little form for people to enter their email address. And also, I think you've got a pop up at some point that I've seen where you're asking people to join your mailing list. How did you decide that getting people on your mailing list was sort of your number one call to action and that would be the main thing that you want people to do? <laughs> to be honest with you, I had a chat with you. You did office hours one time, uh, maybe six months ago, and I was talking about this exact idea. And you said, to quote, I'm really bullish on email lists. So I pretty <laughs> much just followed that advice. I mean, I've also, it's really obvious, like maybe in hindsight, it's obvious, but I've seen people use email lists in a, in a great way, like. Wes Boss, for example, built up an email list and it opens doors for you. I think Julian Shapiro might have said also on this very podcast that like, if you want people to convert to something, an email list is the best choice. We all know that maybe 10% of your tweets are actually read. I also think it's a great point you made about the email box being there in the, in the first place. I, I thought a funny thought today. I read an article by Glenn Usopp, the guy who writes about SEO. It was like the best article I think I'd read this, this year. And I just thought today that I never subscribed to his newsletter. And I thought, why? And it was just because he didn't ask me to. And it's the trick which people really miss, I think. You know, just be obvious about it. You're helping out people. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. If you ask people to do something, then it's easier for them to remember to do that thing. And if you don't ask, then it doesn't really matter if you build the world's best website. It doesn't really matter if you write the best article anyone's ever read. They're probably not going to sign up. Uh, so that's important to do. It's also good just to have an email list in general because email is a channel that you control. Nobody else can really take it away from you. It's not subject to the algorithms of Twitter or Facebook or Google search rankings. You can email these people about whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as they've agreed to it. So it's pretty cool to see that you've been able to build up your email list to close to 5,000 subscribers now. You've also been able to build up your Twitter following. You said that that's sort of a strategy you relied on early on, and it's a strategy that you continue to rely on. Tell us about that. How do you tweet effectively? Wow. I mean, <laughs> I could write like a book about that. I think um, the first mistake, not necessarily a mistake, but the first blessing I've got, uh, that's a piece of advice would be create an account which people want actually want to follow. So look at like, there's an account called Post Podcast Notes, 
and there's an account which summarizes podcasts and there's an account called Naval Ravikant Bot or another one called Nassim Taleb Bot. And with those accounts, you just know exactly what they do. Podcast notes, sub summary of podcasts, Naval Ravikant Bot quotes from Naval Ravikant, Nassim Taleb Bot quotes from Nassim Taleb. There's no like jargon in there. They don't say at any point, oh, check us out on our team visit. Or by the way, can you pay us 30 pounds a month like if you, if you like the blog? So I think just me being called marketing examples it's not called marketing consultancy where i like tweet all these stuff and then at the end of the day can you please can you please pay me (laughs) a subscription (laughs) fee you know uh so i think yeah that's a that's where i'd start secondly i'm just having a look at what i posted on indie hackers today i wrote all about this oh yeah threads so actually four threads you want to put all the value in the tweet itself so you're never going to grow an account like linking off to blogs linking off to your website all the time so what I do is every single blog I write or case study I write, I sort of spend a couple of hours writing it up in a, in a Twitter thread and, you know, shortening the words here and there, making it all fit in, summarizing parts of it. And threads work really, really well to grow an account for a couple of reasons. Firstly, with 280 characters, you can't really offer any real wisdom. It also transcends into pseudo stuff like, you know, there's nothing to fear about fear itself and rubbish like that. But with threads, you lift up the character limits so you can actually say meaningful stuff. And a point, um, interesting point is the percentage of people who follow you after reading a, a thread is going to be so much higher than just from an isolated tweet. Because over a string of sort of seven or eight tweets, you can really build up trust. Whereas a one tweet's just like a you know a flash in the pan. I could, I'll go on. You know, this is uh, my bread and butter. Really, uh, I think another thing, a really clear mistake people make is that they try and like over optimize for retweets and for mentions from other people so they sort of write in their initial tweet at x y and z hashtag this hashtag that and it just looks so much like an advert that no one no one's ever going to really retweet it so my kind of rule of thumb is you have to the first tweet of the thread or the thread itself has to be like crystal meth like it has to be something that walter white would would cook that's the level you've got to get to <laughs> so um naval again sorry to bring this guy up but his famous you know one was titled how to get rich without getting lucky colon that's all it was there was no kind of you know look at this tweet at all and that's why people like to retweet it because it's pure crystal meth in inverted comments There's more stuff i mean i think something marketing examples does really well is it creates a path which links directly from the website to twitter so at the end of every single article, I think this probably only works for the stuff I write, I write about. Like it has to be, you know, really <laughs> sounds really arrogant, but it has to be like a good article for, the, for this technique to work. Otherwise, it's like, mm, you know, not going to retweet that if it's a, another sort of article. But I'll, I'll embed the, the first tweet of the thread at the bottom. That just sort of acts as another call to action. And I think it works a lot better than just a social share icon. We've all sort of got, I think, immune to them over time and. I think a lot more people would actually follow me just from seeing the first tweet of the thread at the end of all the articles. Uh, and finally, like, if you look at the amount of time which I'm putting into each thread, it's maybe three days on the article and then another hour or two hours sort of transcribing it to Twitter. Other people are just not <laughs> like putting in nearly that amount of work into it. Most people just get out their iPhone and tap something up. So it's, it's weird, but on Twitter, if you spend an awful amount of time on it, there's actually, you can really stand out. I bang on all the time about Steve Shoger and Adam Waffen. Steve's the guy who grew his design Twitter from 1,000 to 50,000 in a year. 
And um, every tweet of his was just, you know, really, really amazing. It got to a stage where um, I would just be scrolling down Twitter and I'd I'd stop whenever I saw Steve's icon and just be like, all right, this is a must, that always just must reads. I guess that's, that's all I've got for you on how to grow, how to grow Twitter. That's a lot of great stuff. And I hope more people follow your product page on Indie Hackers because for every milestone you post, you go into this much detail sharing exactly how you hit that milestone. You've talked about how you got product of the week on Product Hunt. You've talked about how you grew your email list from 100 to 1,000 subscribers. You've talked about finding your first sponsor and a lot of other good stuff. We don't quite have time to go into it for this episode because it's a quick chat, but hopefully I will have you on the podcast again, Harry. We'll go into all this stuff in very, very granular detail. Um, for now, let's zoom out a little bit. I know you've been an Andy Hackers member for the last two years. What have you learned in that time that you would like to impart to other people? What's your advice for somebody who's maybe a fledgling founder who hasn't gotten started yet or has just now gotten started? What do you think they need to know? Derek Siva says that if more information is the answer, we'd all be billionaires with perfect apps. So I don't really think anyone listening needs advice. The, uh, the advice out there is, you know, to change the world, make a million pounds is, is already there. You know, read Paul Graham's essays, read the Indie Hackers Forum, listen to Kanye West music, read To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I would say forget like specific tips and tricks and stuff like that. At the end of the day, focus on the really basic fundamental stuff. We're talking discipline, being a decent person, patience, impatience, determination, you know, how honest are you with yourself? If your startup fails, do you give up after that? Do you keep going? Do you try do you try again? Have you got the patience to sit on a blog post for a few days and rewrite it? I would say focus more on your character as a human being and just try and become a better human being and the rest of it will fall into place. If I'm being honest, a lot of this is just, in my opinion, just about brute determination. If you keep going, you're going to make it. So, you know, just become more determined. Um Become a nicer person. Treat all your users well. Simple stuff. Keep going and don't quit. Work on your character and become a better person. And the rest of it will fall into place. I love that advice. Harry, thank you so much for coming on the Indie Hackers podcast to have a quick chat with me. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about what you're up to and learn more about marketing examples? Well, firstly, Corinne, thank you very much. It's been a genuine pleasure to talk to you. Where to go to learn more? I would say just marketingexamples.com. That's at Good Marketing HQ on Twitter uh, and then at Harry Dry. You don't need to look at any of that stuff as well. Just do your own thing and you'll get there. All right. Thanks, Harry. Thanks again. Just a quick note here for listeners. If you are interested in coming onto the podcast like Harry to have a quick chat with me, go to ndhackers.com slash milestones and post a milestone about what you're working on. It can be pretty much anything. People post it about launching or finding their first customer. They post it about growing their mailing list or hitting a thousand followers on Twitter. They post it about getting to all sorts of different revenue levels. So the sky is the limit. Whatever you're proud of, come celebrate it on ndhackers.com slash milestones. And other indie hackers will help you celebrate. We love supporting each other. We love encouraging each other when we hit these milestones. And what I'll do is at the end of every week, I'll look at the top milestones posted and reach out to people to invite them to come onto the podcast for a quick chat. So once again, that's ndhackers.com slash milestones. I'm looking forward to seeing what you post. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? 
If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.